0: Welcome, I'm Pete Perfides, thank you for joining me, you're listening to the Ace Records Podcast and I am very excited to have with me um, one of my favourite musicians, one of my favourite singers she's been one of my favourite singers since the early 80s when I suppose I first heard her voice on a Cherry Red Records compilation, Pillows and Prayers or it may have even been the first chart pop single she released with her group Everything But The Girl Back in 1984, I think, each and every one, and she's made many more wonderful records uh, since both With Everything But The Girl and Horse On Her Own. Uh, She's also a published author now, so she's one of my favourite writers as well. She has had three books published to date, Bedsit Disco Queen, Naked at the Albert Hall and her brand new book, Another Planet, and she's sitting opposite me. Tracy Thorne, how are you?
1: I'm very good, thank
0: you for having me here. it's always lovely to be here um so uh, do you it's do you stop and pinch yourself sometimes and say oh my word i am a published author now
1: yeah i it's still exciting seeing an actual finished book in front of you yes. i mean you know when you're working on writing books you, you do it all in notebooks and on your laptop and it sometimes when you're reading stuff back yeah it, it You know, it doesn't look like a proper book. It looks just like paragraphs one after the other and it doesn't really and as soon as you see it actually printed out and, you know, with a cover on and book-shaped, it seems to just go up a notch in terms of how good it reads. It just... Yeah. It seems better. Your writing seems better, so it's But it's, it's a bit like that. Do
0: you not find... It's a bit like that when, uh, you know, your writing is published and, and... Well, even before your writing is published, if someone says something good about something you've written, then you can go back and read it and pretend to be that person. Yes. And it seems better, doesn't it?
1: That I had that absolute experience with this new book, Another Planet, so I'd got to the stage... Where where I'd written sort of draft 2 of yeah. it and I sent it off to my editor Francis at Canongate, and I reread it myself one evening and thought this you know there's some good stuff in here but this is mostly very bad um it needs a lot of work the next it- the very next day I went and had <laughs> lunch with him at which lunch he told me it was mostly very good <laughs> so which cheered me up no end, and then I went home and read it again, mm. and sure enough, it struck me as being mostly
0: <laughs> very, very good. good. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? So it's very weird. <laughs> and what what was it that what was your main misgiving about it then? When you sort of, you know, as you, one inevitably must, you hand it over for someone to read, and then you're nervously waiting for that reaction.
1: I think it's. I do think it's that classic imposter syndrome thing. Still, mm. that when you read stuff you've written, it's very hard to completely believe in it with the same degree of sort of authority as you believe when you read Hmm. something written by someone else Hmm. you Hmm. know you read other people's writing and you just sort of accept that they know what they're talking about Hmm. that they have you know the right to be saying these things that their opinions count and matter even if you don't always agree with them you just sort of you know, you take for granted that, that this is their writing and you, you take it seriously. But with your own stuff, I think you just, all the little negative voices in your head yeah. kind of chip in saying, well, hang on, you might have got that wrong. Or well, yeah, yeah. supposing, you know, you're making this assertion here
0: about something, but, you know, you someone could disagree with you. And what was that sort of, what was the you know, uh, what was the sort of one-line pitch you gave to yourself, really, that... Because, you know, I think we, ha- we all have sort of thoughts that you think, oh, that could be a, a book. But what's the thing? What was the thing in this case that transformed it from just another idea that could be a book to be, well, actually, I think this is it?
1: It was, um, there was a moment when a lot of it sort of coalesced around coming up with the actual title. Hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd actually written, first of all, a long essay, um, which was called Green Belt and which was about growing up in the green belt sort mm. of area of the, those suburbs that are not yeah. just suburbs because they sort of sprawl out from the city but they're actually a bit separated from the city by this you know the green belt around london yep. 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 and that's where mm. i grew up so i that was the original idea but it was quite narrow it was quite focused on just the the place and i knew i needed to incorporate other things you know to make it book sized mm. and make it a bit bigger in its themes And I was talking to my sister and I was talking about how I wanted to include a bit more stuff about our parents and the family. Um, And we were talking just about, you know, how I did often feel a bit separate from my parents and Mm. felt like they didn't quite understand me. And she said, oh, you remember that thing dad always used to say about you in recent years? You know, he'd be talking to me, she said, and he'd say, oh, you know, Tracy's just done this. Gosh, she's from another planet. (laughs) And this is when I would have done some, you know, quite mundane, normal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, that line sank in and I said to my sister at that time, I said, my God, I think that could be a brilliant title for the book. And it immediately gives me this whole kind of new territory to talk about, which is about, you know, the way your parents don't understand you. You yeah. know, it, it implies as well that suburbia hmm. is another planet. It's yeah, like no, its, its own place. I can totally see why um, it would have taken you to
0: that place. Yeah. Um your your dad, you know, even before reading this, you know, see it was like an it, see, it seems a very intriguing character in terms of his perception of you as well. Um was wasn't it didn't he? After the first book came out, it was didn't he say something? Like, I I didn't know she was. Yeah. she was into music. Didn't know so. she was. She, didn't know she was so into music. He said that <laughs> after Better Disco Queen
1: came out, you know. By which time, my entire musical career had been and gone. It's all. It's not like you know. It was yet to happen. He. Yeah. I don't know what he thought I was doing all those years, um, <laughs> that it came as a surprise to him. But you know, I guess the point is, you know parents don't really understand their kids a lot no. of the
0: time and do you think do you think you understand your children more than your parents understood you
1: well it's a good question i i like to think i do and i think we're we're closer in the sense that we have more you know open conversations than hmm. i had with my parents by the time i was hmm. a late teenager and a young adult yeah um, by that stage i think we'd already agreed that we were from different planets, yeah, and yeah. we were trying to be civil to each other, but that yeah. was, you know, the the best of it. Whereas I talk to all my kids much more about, you know, their likes and dislikes and their feelings yeah. and their hopes and fears. And so I think I understand them more.
0: Is it a surprise to you? Sometimes I, I, part of the reason I ask is it's a surprise to me that it's going so well sometimes in yeah. ter- in terms of that shared, shared understanding, shared references, and... Uh, I almost think, am I kidding? My-? You know, sometimes I wonder if I'm just kidding myself and I'm just actually as as kind of removed from it as my parents were from...
1: I remember when my kids reached their teens that I was slightly braced waiting for it to start going wrong. Mm. I think because I expected, you know, that the the way it went wrong for me and my parents was just inevitable. That, that yeah, was just yeah. what happened yeah, when yeah, yeah. teenagers yeah. and parents collided. And a lot of people will, you know... It, it, constantly give you dire warnings that that's Mm. what's about to happen if you say to someone if someone says to you you know how old are your kids and you go oh 13 and they'll go oh oh (laughs) oh you've got it all coming then and you think oh well okay yeah i mean i'm sure sure there'll be difficult bits but you know here we are now my oldest girls are 21 and the youngest is 17 and we all get on really, really well. They don't have so. to say it
0: with that much relish as well. No, you know, exactly. when people say, like, oh, you've got it coming to you. I know. You.
1: I think people are desperate, you know, to see you make their
0: mistakes. I know. A certain <laughs> amount of projection, I always think, yeah. sort of is kind of happening at times like that. Yeah. So it starts with this sort of fascinating uh, sort of journey, sort of back into into the suburbs where you grew up mm. and you say so, so you go from your current um, where you live currently in northwest london and these and it's all and i I'll, I'll happily read it sort of anyone describing that sort of journey where you know and as you say i think there were like five people left on the train by yes. the time you you sort of got off yeah and it is especially when you're going and cuz i i grew up in birmingham and i get yeah. this going back to birmingham I sort of the other week i went um I just drove around the streets where I, I sort of grew up. I didn't even know what I was looking for. I, I didn't even know what I was trying to sort of, um, you know, sate some sort of yearning or curiosity. Yeah, and I get, and I got that really um, at times with you.
1: Yeah, I mean that you know when I went back to visit Brookmans Park, which is the little village, not a village that mm-hmm. I grew up in, I hadn't been back there for. A very long time because yeah. my parents had moved away. So, you know, there was a good period of 20 years or so when I didn't have any reason to go back there. And I visited at the start of this writing project thinking, well, <laughs> I need to actually physically go there. And it did feel like a, you know, psychological journey as much as a physical one. I, I was so astonished by how near it is. Yes. You know, in my mind, it's hundreds of miles away. It's, it's, almost fictional in my mind i think Hmm. of it it's brigadoon or something you know it's it's a bit imaginary did you like it um well (laughs) it felt incredibly familiar Hmm. Um, as soon as i walked down from the station i felt sort of at home you know Hmm. because i knew every single corner every curbstone every Hmm. tree Hmm. um but pretty soon, I had all the same feelings I always had, which is, you know, it feels like everyone's looking at me. Where is everyone? Why
0: is it so quiet? Um, Would it all be spooked? Did, <laughs> did it really? Did it? Well, I've got to ask, even, notwithstanding the possibility of them recognizing you, you've got, was that feeling of people looking at you? Was it? It was more to do with being in a small town and people knowing your business.
1: Yeah, de- definitely not. I didn't think at all. Oh, people might recognize me yeah. and sort of go, "Here's our famous." <laughs> <laughs> you know, or walking path. the street, it was more that feeling that I thought neck curtains would be twitching, and mm. that sort of here's a stranger,
0: yeah, come to town. And it's kind of often compounded when, um, you, you know, certainly, I even now I sort of go back and, and visit my parents, and they will talk in great detail about what everybody who lives on the street has been doing lately. Yes. I, I don't know these people, and I, you know, i with the best will in the world i I listened <laughs> but yeah. um but i, I did, there is a part of me that sort of thinks you know why i i why you why why are you telling me this why why do I not feel it's appropriate to tell you about what the various people on my street are doing yeah but um i do, i still i don't I'm not sure I have an answer to that
1: no, but, and that's one of the things I wanted to escape from. I remember when I was growing up there and thinking about what it would be like to live in a city one of the things that was so appealing was the idea of being anonymous in the crowd. Yeah, You know, I liked the idea of a city being busier and thronged with people and a variety of people. I thought that would be great. But also that you could do whatever you liked and no one would care. No one would be looking at you. It wouldn't be anyone's business.
0: And that's a kind of, and you mentioned this almost in those terms, but you refer to a kind of... Um Almost like a kind of humanity, like an unspoken humanity about London yeah in in that there is it's and a lot of people mistake it for coldness and unfriendliness, yeah. but it 's a kind of mutual respect born of no, the knowledge that we 're all so close together
1: I think so, I yeah. think it is that thing of giving everyone a bit of space, mm. you know the the way when you watch a busy street, everyone sort of instinctively mm. <laughs> maneuvers around each yeah. other yeah um. And, you know, you watch people on the tube and yeah, it can kind of seem cold that everyone's not looking, but physically everyone's very close together. Mm. So you have to do something to create a little bit of separateness and privacy. So, you know, people reading books and people with headphones on, but I like that. I think it's a sort of, you are actually all having a shared experience because you're all experiencing this tube
0: journey. Yeah, totally. Uh, But at the same time,
1: you've got you know, a little bit of separateness and a little bit of individuality.
0: Yeah, it's a fight. It's like a it's like a human ecosystem. That, yeah, um, it, and it's actually quite beautiful when you sort of kind of when the penny drops, and that's kind of how you start to um, perceive it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I sort of think that certainly sometimes. I've got this kind of ambivalence about the the, the suburbs and a mm. lot of the suburbs that you mentioned uh, because you know you you describe being on the the, tr- the train line that kind of almost goes practically past my house yeah and so and I occasionally sort of go go on just will go somewhere um, and have a sort of fantasy. Uh, Fantasy day of of like uh, of the you know the life that I might have had. There. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's sustained. Like a few um a few weeks ago, I spent a night in Letchworth. I didn't have to; no one forced me. And my kind of ostensible reason for doing so was that um, Catelyn, as you know, my wife, she sort of she's got a very large family, and she was having him over for a kind of pre-Christmas gathering. And she said, and I had, I was trying to finish a book at the time, and mm. uh, she said, look, if you want to have a couple of days, just um somewhere else just go for it I don't mind and uh and so I like randomly chose Letchworth for reasons kind of not dissimilar really to to some of the, some of the things that you touch on in your book just that sort of how does life work in a sort of play in a kind of in a not quite a market town it's bigger yeah. than that
1: and, you know, There's supposed
0: to be a very nice bookshop there, isn't there? <clears throat> yeah, it's a record shop as well. Book
1: and book and record shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do hear good that. things
0: about. Her. And I stayed at the Premier, uh, at the Premier Inn, mm-hmm. and it was weird because I didn't even tell anyone where I was. I literally, no one knew where I was, and um, <laughs> so I thought it would be quite weird if I just <clears throat> if I had a heart attack in the hotel, and they like, and they like, I was found, and people said, "Why? What was he was doing he in Letchworth? <laughs> what was he doing in Letchworth?" Yeah, but in a sense. Like there's there's a kind of easy life that you can have in the suburbs because they're these kind of wonderful kind of town planning machines yeah. that exist to expedite an easy life.
1: Yeah, definitely. Is that appealing to you? Well, it it isn't. But the, in the process of writing the book, I became a lot more sympathetic mm. to the the notion of why it was appealing, especially to my parents. Yeah. I mean, Brookmans Park is a weird one because it was built. It was planned around the same sort of time as Welling Garden City, which is only a couple of miles away. Mm. And it was planned to be a similar kind of place, a lot bigger. Mm. Um, and so the building started in the, I think, the late 1920s. A lot of it was built in the 30s. Yeah. And so the railway station is there. That's the reason for it being there. You can get directly into mm. London. So mm. it's a perfect commuter town was yes. the idea. So they built some houses. Then they built this village green and a lot of shops It's very well served for shops. Mm. It's got a primary school. It's got a secondary school. It's got a church. Mm. It's got a pub with some rooms above it. Um, It's had a petrol station. It had a GP. It had a dentist. Do you know what I mean? It was so well set up. And then the Green Belt thing happened, Mm. I think in the 40s, just after the war. And the building stopped. So from this town that was kind of set up to be... As you say, you know, this really well-designed place with mm. all the facilities you'd need yeah. and, you know, a thriving big community. Yeah. It actually got completely stuck and it stayed as this quite small. I mean, it is quite small, literally yeah. a few thousand people, but with everything it needs. Yeah. So which made it become even more sort of insular and yeah. self-contained. I yeah. grew up living a lovely childhood really, you know, I didn't have to go anywhere for anything. No, could <laughs> I? walk to school, walk to the shops. Yeah. Um, But then becoming a teenager, I suddenly realised, but this is weird, Mm. you know, living in a place where everything's there. And the the men would all get on the train and go up to London to work. All the women were housewives and mothers. Mm. And it was a bit Stepford and a bit Truman Show, you know, just this thing where... It felt a bit unreal.
0: And you explore that thing a little bit with your, edge around it a little bit with your with your mother as well. And you seem, and yeah. a, a, a lot of it, you know, you seem sort of unclear as to, to to what degree you could call her sort of a happy woman.
1: Yeah, and, and I, you know, when in in my teens, we fell out very badly. Um, in retrospect, I now look back and realise she was going through her menopause. I yeah. think she suffered from a lot of anxiety issues. Yeah. Um, You know, I think she was. I think she was thwarted and frustrated, but didn't have an outlet or a language for that. So she focused everything onto the kids and the family, as women like that did. Yeah, 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 absolutely, um, understandably. And she went to her GP at one point and got put on Valium. You know, which was the solution in the 1970s for frustrated housewives. Yeah. Um, And so we ended up very, very distant from each other. You know, I was doing the opposite. I was trying to react to the sort of Thoughted, yeah. frustrated thing by looking out into the big world and going, okay, look, you, you yeah. know, this place is driving us both mad. So, what's,
0: well, yeah. how'd you get out? It's quite a common thing as well for yeah. parents, especially for uh, mothers, I think, of that yeah. generation to um, look at the, th- you know, to gaze on as their children go out and, and get the things that you know for kind of societal reasons or cultural reasons what you know were not available to them mm. and perhaps without even realizing it slightly resent them yeah for, was that would do with that I, th- I think definitely you know my mum was clever
1: um she'd enjoyed school but she would had to leave at 15 like mm. people did in those days and yeah. then the war came um she worked as a secretary for a few years and then as soon as she got married and had kids that was it, she stopped work Yeah. Um, and I, you know when I, she used to tell stories of what she was like when she was younger and she sounded an absolute
0: laugh yeah.
1: you know, yeah. she liked going out, she liked dancing, yeah. she used to talk about how she wore too much thick foundation makeup and it would all rub off on my dad's shirts, mm-hmm. you know, when they were kissing and there was this brilliant story she used to tell about when he was in the RAF And he was, I think he was posted somewhere training and she went out one. They weren't married yet. They were just courting. Um, Mm. She went out to a dance with another man Mm. and he came home unexpectedly. My dad and was told that she was at this dance. So he turned up there as well. The other (laughs) man had just bought her a cherry brandy. So my dad said, I'll buy her a cherry brandy. So she's she's picture her standing there with a cherry brandy in each hand. And I just used to think I'd have liked you.
0: You know, you
1: were good fun.
0: That's such a poignant <laughs> image, this woman with cherry brandy in each hand. I know.
1: I've, and I always think probably thoroughly enjoying herself, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it um, is, um,
0: it's, yeah, I'm, a couple of things I'm reminded of when you said that. First of all, to both um, music related. First of all, I think of that song by, um, do you know, that song, a Michelle Shocked song called Anchorage. Mm, yeah and uh okay so for people who don't know yeah. right, it's about it's a kind of she's relaying a kind of correspondence she has with an yeah. old friend isn't she yeah and her old friend has has moved got married settled down and gone yeah. to anchorage alaska and uh and there's this line in it where she says I think I'm a housewife. Yeah. It's so, it breaks your heart. Doesn't I know.
1: It? It's, and it's so well delivered as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like she yeah. realizes it
0: like the moment That's she That's what she's the, turned into. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, and it's true, you know, for, I don't know, for young women of my sort of generation, just the word housewife would strike fear into your heart. It mm. was a terrifying thing to think of
0: becoming. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of, it's kind of, it connotes incarceration, doesn't it? Does, it does.
1: And it was really, You know, again, I think it was held up as what we were probably leading to. That's why it was so scary, because it wasn't, you know, later generations could probably just laugh it off and go, well, obviously, I'm never going to be that. But I think I grew up in the knowledge that that was a fate that possibly (laughs) awaited me. Yeah, it's like, you know, Um, it's a
0: bit like, um, you know, uh, maybe not as extreme, but, you know sort of maybe if you grow up in a in a culture where sort of arranged marriages are expected yeah. and you just i mean you know i i sort of had a kind of soupson of that um uh, if if you grow up in a sort of Greek background then the kind of way things are traditionally done is it's seen as a marriage of families so right. yeah. you you know if there's someone in a family that's roughly your age then the two families will get together <laughs> yeah. and then they will sort of talk about the possibility of you meeting with the, the potential significant other from their family and I remember my parents t- telling me that this is kind of what's supposed to happen right. when I was about 10. Yeah. I was like uh, are you fucking joking? Yeah. Are you, do you think that that is ever going to? I mean, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that sort of thing that I, that's really that's not what I had planned. No. And um,
1: and I did. The thing is, I I remember being frightened of that, but not knowing what the alternatives were, mm. which you know again was why it was so exciting and inspiring. Then to see women doing other things, which is how I ended up getting mm. so, you know, inspired by. Patty Smith and mm. Susie Sue and polystyrene, and suddenly out of nowhere, it seemed like there was this explosion of you know really radical seeming women, and they're just doing other stuff and Did your and mother
0: ever <laughs> offer opinions on these I
1: think she was horrified I mean, you know she obviously they didn't like the music I was listening to to them. it was just discordant rubbish, mm. and they very much hated the aggressiveness of it mm. um and You know, I was criticised very much for being unfeminine Mm. by Mm. my parents. They would really say, you know, oh, God, this music you listen to, it's so aggressive. Why are you going out looking like that? You look so unfeminine. And I'd be going, yeah, that's the point. You know, this is so liberating being able to go out Was it? Was it
0: just liberating? Was there any... Do you feel a little guilty, maybe? I felt very guilty. I was incredibly conflicted about it all.
1: I didn't want to be at odds with my parents, really. I think at heart, I'm not a natural um, rebel, if you like. I I kind of rebelled because I had to, because what they were offering just wouldn't have worked for me. Hmm. But I would much, I would much rather have been like my kids are, which is they've lived their teenage, um, doing stuff they've wanted to do, being able to express themselves, having freedom and also being able to get on with their parents.
0: That's what I would have liked really. And you went to university in Hull and you, obviously you met Ben there and, uh, I feel like Eamon Andrews sort of and then you went <laughs> then You're gonna bring him on
1: You haven't seen him for thirty years. Oh no, actually you saw him this morning.
0: <laughs> and they're in the common room. No, so uh, so you So yeah no, but he um he was someone who had a very different kind of relationship, especially with his father um, yeah who, who, which was probably slightly closer in some ways to the one you know he, he's, he's groovy dad yeah who didn't they smoke a joint together on the they way? they did on their to... way up to
1: Hull by the time I met Ben that afternoon. He'd already had the experience of his dad driving him up and they'd sparked up a joint as they crossed the Humber Bridge and his dad bunged Count Basie on, (laughs) turned the volume up, windows down, smoking a joint as they crossed the Humber Bridge. Then they arrived at the student house, both a bit stoned. Um, They kind of breeze in... Ben's dad sits down. A couple of the other students had arrived already. Hmm. Ben's dad says to them, stick the kettle on, lads, and help get that trunk out of the car, which they duly do. Bring it in. So, yeah, that was his introduction to student life. Meanwhile, my parents had brought me up, probably looking a bit disapprovingly at my room and, gone off in
0: tears. uh, So, um, uh, things get... That's interesting, isn't it? Because there's always a time when you kind of get into a serious relationship with someone. They have to meet your parents and you have to meet their parents. Mm. And it must have been far more onerous for you to think of the prospect of Ben meeting your parents, I would imagine, than the other way around.
1: Yeah, it was very difficult. And they didn't, you know, naturally hit it off at all. And he was used to being able to speak to parents like adults and, Mm. you know, speak his mind, be opinionated, tell dirty jokes, swear... All the kind of you know normal stuff, which he then proceeded to do in front of my parents, who were did they expect and to horrified. be addressed as
0: Mr. and Mrs. Thorne? No, not as bad as that,
1: Yeah. um, but it was definite you know expected to sleep in separate rooms, yeah. and I remember Ben coming to visit for the first time in I think on our first like holiday from university when we were both back down, he came over to stay. And you know, we went up to my bedroom like you do, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to you know sit and talk. And my mum came and opened the door and left the door open. Like, oh. and I remember just thinking, "Is it 1955 still?" And yes, apparently
0: it is. <laughs> have you told? You must have told your children that story.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they can't imagine it, obviously. Yeah. And then when Ben and I started living together, that was it. I mean. We really, really fell out. They, you know, hmm. didn't go as far as kind of ostracising me. But, you know, I didn't see much of them for the next few. They didn't see Ben at all no, for a no. couple of years. Um, until we'd lived together for long enough that they thought, oh, OK, maybe this is serious and we're going to have to speak was it,
0: to him. Was it easier to write this book sort of knowing that they wouldn't read it?
1: Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't think I could have written it, you know, which is, I know, quite common when people write things about family. Hmm. And... You know, it's that weird feeling that I really don't think I could have sent this book to either of my parents to read, which is an interesting thing, given that I have already, you know, I wrote Beds at Disco Queen when they were both still alive. And, you know, there is stuff left out of it, honestly. So, you know, maybe there is a sense in which I went back over some of that ground because I thought, OK, now now I'm going
0: to tell you the real story. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course and uh and obviously i think i think is a lot of with a lot of sort of people who grew up after the 60s a big engine of that sort of drive to kind of find out what your own story is is quite simply top of the pops yeah and so it sort of came to be for you yes it's this very um i don't think it will ever really be possible to sort of convey maybe to to you know, obviously the world has changed uh what 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 a disruptive potentially disruptive thing this thing can be that just lands in in your front room on thursday evening
1: totally and you know it's and it's and maybe in you know there are certain moments as well when what's happening on top of the pops was sort of particularly likely to provoke Mm. (laughs) parents of a certain generation especially so you know I know lots of people have their memories of watching, you know, Bowie doing Starman or something. But for me, it was a little bit later than that. Yeah. It was the period when the punk group started appearing on there. Um, and I'd already, you know, I'd got some of the records and was getting into things. And so my parents were a bit aware that there was this noise emanating yeah. from my bedroom. But then, you know, to actually see what the Sex Pistols looked like, yeah. there they are doing Pretty Vacant or something, you know. I th- I just remember them being unable to understand you know how yeah. what is likable
0: about this um yeah and although i you know i i sort of i remember feeling excited at my, at my bro- older brother getting into the mm. sex pistols i i also have a certain amount of sympathy yeah. for my <laughs> parents as well because how could they yeah. really you know and
1: that that was the point wasn't it it was designed obviously mm. to offend and alienate that generation yeah. um so, you know, there there were definite moments um, of just, you know, complete sort of mutual incomprehension yeah, and, yeah. and me getting more and more, um, you know, drawn into that world of music. And it, it, it just kind of fell like a curtain between yeah, me and yeah. my parents. And, you know, one that I was quite happy to then, I mean, hide behind in a way. I used yeah. it as something that was a way of helping me sometimes to say things i couldn't say you know here's this loud record that's shouting and mm, being obscene. Yeah, and so i can put that on and i don't have to say anything because mm. it's it's shouting and screaming and doing all the stuff for me and you know that's a way in which music can be so useful you know that thing of it it speaking for you and it being rebellious in a way maybe you are too timid to be but yeah
0: yeah because you um, started making records very young you know your the you know the Venn diagram, if you like, of your you're starting to make records and that kind of window of your life mm. where you you still get obsessed with new musicians. You know the two overlap, didn't they? So mm. you, there's this strange period where you know you were kind of hero worshipping people like Morrissey, weren't you? And yet you he was your peer. Yeah, I mean
1: that you know that came a little bit later, I guess, when you know. When I went off to Hull and the Smiths first appeared in, what, sort of 83, 82, Mm. 83. And so, yeah, I'd already had a couple of records out and then um, got madly into the Smiths. And, you know, then had the weird experience of... I still just did feel like a student who was a fan of the Smiths. Um, But, you know, then there was a weird thing when at the end of that year, I think... In the NME, Morrissey chose me as his favourite female singer, and I, I couldn't quite get my head around it. I was a bit still, sort of, has he even heard of me? You know? And
0: were you? Um, what would what would your friends think of that?
1: Ah, oh, well, that was that weird period, you know, when me and Ben were at university, when almost no one ever mentioned it. It was kind of just, I don't know, because was, was... I was nicknamed Pop Star Trace yes for a while yeah right, Yeah. um so it was just kind of made a bit of a joke of in uh, is that quite british way i think yeah understatement let's take the mickey a bit because what's the alternative are you actually gonna you know make
0: a yeah. fuss of her that would be awful yeah, and also there is still you know there's pe- you know p- uh, people of that age are sort of in denial of their social awkwardness it's like you know you never like when you're in your early 20s it's a bit like having someone who be, who acquires fame mm. is a, in your friendship group is a little bit like knowing someone who's been bereaved. You yeah. just don't know what, don't to, know say. what to say. <laughs> no, I think
1: that's really true. So people just chose not to say anything which was probably for the best.
0: And when you do say things you can often just say really dumb things. Yeah. just like what what on earth did I say that for, you know. So it's kind of
1: But also when you're young you kind of take things a bit in your stride anyway and mm-hmm. you know what the way things unfold just seems normal or natural to you because that's what's happening. Whereas now I look back and think, you know, and when I talk to my kids about it, they say, but so what, hang on, you were at university and you, you know, you'd already released two albums and then you recorded two more while you were there, (laughs) you know? And I think, well, it does sound a bit far-fetched when you look at it like that. But again, I suppose you have to remember that everything was... You know, it was very indie and DIY. So when you say recording an album, that was like two afternoons work or something. It wasn't like booking out, you know, Compass Point for six months or something.
0: Also, do you know what the other things are? I just think there's just no... Your life has no admin at that point. No. And like, you know... So now, like, you know, if if I was to map out my dream week, a lot of it would consist of sort of writing and kind of getting my radio show ready or whatever, you know. But actually, you know it's probably about two days of just admin. Yes. Of just like, and, and yeah, And I sort of think, and that's just me. So yeah. I think about, you know, sometimes I think, uh, God, this is probably like this for Johnny Marr. You know, Johnny Marr <laughs> probably has to do, like on any given, he probably just has to sort out Smith's bullshit of one kind or another oh, just for yeah. two days in any given week.
1: Yeah, there is a certain amount of past bullshit
0: that mm. needs endless sorting out. Give yeah, me an example bit... of some of your past bullshit that would just <laughs> like that someone like me would never even imagine is just a time-consuming bore for you. Um at the moment we're trying to find uh the original artwork for
1: one of our album covers for a reissue. Right. Okay. And um that's proved to be an <laughs> extraordinarily boring amount of bullshit. Which album? The person, I think it's Amplified Heart. Right. And um no one seems to have it anyway. So we this week, we just got a huge delivery of some stuff that had been sent over from America, boxes of stuff that we've literally arrived on our doorstep. And Ben was like, here it is. It's going to be in here somewhere. Was it in there, <laughs> reader? Return- no, it wasn't. Literally piles of other stuff. I mean, it's quite interesting, you know, yeah, photos yeah. of us that we'd forgotten ideas well, for sleeves that we'd forgotten but then I said to him at the end of it when the thing we actually need wasn't in there I said so is that now being added to the stuff in the garage <laughs> <laughs> of which there is quite Not a lot too much, yeah. Um, yeah so yeah just stuff that you kind of feel should we hang on to this you know master tapes videos boxes of interviews um you just have to you kind of think you have to but it feels a bit oh god am i just leaving stuff that my kids are one they're gonna have to
0: guiltily burn yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but just give formally give them dispensation please yeah please just in a skip all of it and um so um it's in going back to something you said earlier the you talked about your mother um you know, having to you know the the contrast between the woman standing there holding two glasses of was it cherry, cherry brandy, brandy, cherry brandy, <laughs> and you know this sort of you know would sort of at times I imagine a drudge is that too yeah. Or, yeah awful and um and you know and and sort of trying to reconcile the two, mm. but obviously her you know she it's what and the thing the thing that's kind of. I've seen you mention sort of this before, but it's almost like you sort of you you had the musical career, and but it seems to me that you you also ha- have fa- tried to find a way of being that present mother as well, and really enjoying that in the knowledge that no one's forcing you to do it. Yeah, and by and large, it seems to be something that you actually accomplished.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, bizarrely, if I look back to the years when our kids were small I did live the life of a housewife essentially Mm. but you know quite an unusual one because a housewife who'd had um, 20 years of an interesting and rewarding career of being a pop star and was actually getting a bit fed up with it and so was happy to have a break Mm. and also a housewife whose husband was working as a DJ and running a small label so every morning the doorbell would ring and I'd, there'd be the postman there with you know in today's stack of 12 yeah. inch singles which would go on in the kitchen yeah, yeah. so it was kind of fun there was yeah, a lot yeah. of exciting stuff happening and I'd still go out dancing when Ben was DJing yeah um get a babysitter in and go out yeah. clubbing so you know it was a kind of fun experience of being a housewife but yeah I I definitely wanted to be there for my kids and yeah. I wanted to. I wanted them to have a really stable life. I yeah. wanted them to have a really stable normal yeah. life with, you know, parents around and yeah. taking them to school and cooking their tea and all that. Yeah. Um so I I was happy to do that. But I suppose I thought well look, I found a way of doing that without negating the person I am, mm. you know, and 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 so then that means when they become teenagers, you can still talk to them because mm. you know, you still actually are in a place where you can get your head around the fact that they're going to have sex and take drugs and occasionally mm. do stupid things but it's you know it's yeah not the end of the world
0: it's I think there's something appealing that it's like the kind of panther update of um, <laughs> of, of a sort of, of of a quote-unquote boring life you know and it's kind of yeah i guess in some ways it's kind of what i've tried you know tried to kind of put in play a sort of interesting version of a, of a quote-unquote boring life yeah so that <laughs> um you know you sort of because technology is on our side now so you yeah. can you know you can have the laptop in the kitchen and you can sort of do all you know administer yeah. what you need to administer yeah and not all and and you know not have to forsake any sort of aspect of it in a yeah. way yeah. and of course so you and was and at that point so you you but you never complete what what was the longest gap between albums for you
1: I mean there was a period when the last Everything But The Girl album was made when our twins were quite small. So the Temperamental album, which was our last album, that came out in, I think, 2000. And I was a little bit only semi-present for that. And yeah. We did a little bit of touring where we took the girls with us, but they were like a year old and it was yeah. a bit of a nightmare. So that was the point when I kind of stopped Um, In sort of the end of 2000. And then the next thing musically I did was my solo album Out of the Woods, which was 2007. So there's a seven year gap there where I was being at home mum. In that time, I wrote Beds at Disco Queen, although I wrote it and then put it in a box under the bed thinking, well, that's not, won't be of any interest to anyone
0: else. (laughs) That's not, that strikes me as a nice way to do it. Yeah. And, um, and did you, did it feel, did you feel like it's, are you quite, I'm, I am I, I'm. guess maybe I'm sort of imposing my sort of guilt onto that kind of situation. But I think I would feel, feel a bit guilty or self-indulgent about kind of spending a huge amount of time doing something that, you know, I haven't, I haven't shown to anyone. What, the book? Yes.
1: I, I don't, for a while I didn't think about it at all. I honestly thought I would, I had just done it you know, for my own benefit, that it was a sort of reminder to me hmm. of what I'd done. I almost felt like I was, I don't know, like keeping the, you know, captain's log or something yeah, of yeah, this yeah. career we'd had. And yeah. so it had to be written down and there it was, it was done now. Yeah. Um, and it got me back into making music. So actually I, I went back to doing that. And then some, uh, Kirsty, who's now my agent, who was actually Ben's literary agent at the time, said to me one day, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I said, well... I did sort of write it's you know it's nothing I wrote this and she went well, can I see it hmm. right then
0: Was it genuinely a surprise to you that she thought it was publishable
1: Yeah I I I said but it's just like it's so you know much it to me it felt so niche hmm. and it I don't know why it just hadn't occurred to me of course that a lot of other other people had shared all the early stuff you know had had the same experience of growing up and getting into punk and indie yeah. and going to gigs and that then there were people who'd followed our career who would be interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was I was surprised. And then I think, again, like we, we started out this interview, once she'd said that, I read it with fresh eyes and suddenly it looked to me like an enormously entertaining book. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it is, I think, you know, because we live in a world where, um, you know, you you know you only need to sort of complain on Twitter about your train being late before someone says uh, you know f- f- uh, first world problems. Yeah. In you. Did was it, was there a part of you that sort of wondered whether or not you know like, hang oh on I'm not Malala should I really be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I
1: mean? Yes, so there maybe there's something a bit indulgent about thinking <laughs> you know this is interesting. But I think I've been cured of that a bit. Actually, the experience now of having published some stuff and writing a column Mm. means that I now think, okay, well, look, I love reading stuff by other people about their lives or about their thoughts, their insights, their reflections. So, you know, of, of course... I've got the right to write things and people might be interested in them. I think I've got better at at feeling, you know, that there is a place for it and not being quite so You do get to an age as well where you just stop giving us stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. You get a bit more... I mean, maybe it's to do with being a bit more secure Mm. in in yourself and, you know, thinking that, you know... You have a place, you have a role.
0: I was surprised at times that the the picture of the person you painted in, in Another Planet was maybe a bit more insecure than I would have expected mm. um, and uh, prone to anxiety and mm. all the rest. You know, that was... Um, had it been a deliberate sort of decision in a way to sort of maybe withhold that uh, side of you from your previous writing?
1: Again, I think that's something that I've only really started to realise about myself quite recently. Um, Honestly, if you'd asked me years ago, I wouldn't have known how to put it into words. Mm. Um, And that's partly because, you know, there's conversations that have been being had in public in recent Mm. years about depression and anxiety and mental health issues in general that I just don't think I would have articulated in that way I think I would have just thought oh well yeah I'm a bit like that mm. I didn't know what the word panic attack meant until mm. quite recently and then I look back and thought oh god yeah no I used to get that one mm. that's that's a thing <laughs> other people have that yeah yeah, yeah. you know who, you just don't know so I to me you know I only had some therapy for the first time in my life very recently you know in the last three or four years mm. um during which i as you do, learn a lot about myself and
0: what made sense of, of a lot of things. What kind of therapy?
1: Um, not, not totally sort of in-depth analytical yeah. going back over my entire childhood. A bit of that, mm. a bit of that, but then a bit more CBT-based, just trying to give you kind of strategies for yeah. managing and coping with, which I think is particularly useful with anxiety yeah, um, right. and just learning how to... I think it's just about learning to put things in perspective a bit and try not to let it absolutely sort of yeah rule you. yeah
0: um we're not just anywhere we're in the offices of the by the colossal quite exciting warehouse of Ace Records yes. um so um has it have you seen anything that's taken your fancy
1: i've i've snaffled something already that actually isn't even out yet but that's coming out soon which is the new Bob Stanley and Pete Wiggs compilation called 3 day week when the lights went out <laughs> 1972 to 1975, so it's quite, quite similar kind of era to what I've just written about in Another Planet, although that starts kind of yeah. in 1976. But obviously, I
0: remember this era. So it's a good idea. What, 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 what was there? Tell tell us a little bit about what's on the track listing that might have intrigued you.
1: The last track on the album is Stardust by David Essex, Mm. which is a song that actually appears in my book, Another Mm, Planet. mm. I was a massive David Essex fan. And particularly, Mm. I loved the two films, That'll Be The Day and Stardust. Have you seen them?
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, they're quite startling. Quite... (laughs) depressing they're
1: incredibly depressing i saw them when i was really young i mean way too young to be seeing them i'm sure i can't imagine how i got into the cinema to see them but i was mad about him Mm. and stardust this is you know it's one of david essex's kind of gloomy Hmm. tunes he wasn't all just cheeky chappy fun of the fair although there was quite a lot of that absolutely yeah but
0: at the same he was like the cut he was like like he was like the kindly fairground operative. Yes. So that if you were lost next to the dodgems and you're a bit scared, you knew that he would direct you to a safe place.
1: Yeah, but Although not in those films, I think, where he was very much he was very much badder and naughtier than that. Um, yeah, very true. Which made him quite exciting. So anyway, I'm, I very much want to listen to this because it's already got something important.
0: It is. It's quite ti- it timely, not me. only in terms of uh, what you write about, but also we may be entering a phase in history which is rather a lot like the... Post Brexit, well, know. I
1: think this this could be our soundtrack. Then maybe I, there's be. there's some controversial people on here that um, Lieutenant Pigeon. Hmm. There's a track by.
0: Were you were, which, you, do you, <laughs> were you a mouldy old doe? sort of? I love that song.
1: See, I just remember. I don't think I liked it. No, it was no. just one of those omnipresent songs, wasn't it? There's a Kinks track on here. Um, the there's Kinks? all sorts of exciting stuff, you know. There's wiggins ovation northern soul dancer
0: well that's uh, it's a good it's a great idea i think in yeah. terms of that, that sort of um unlike you know like we said it's it has that sort of slightly discombobulatingly timely feeling about it that we might you know it's kind of if a no-deal brexit happens it might all start to get a bit three-day week again i was so. talking
1: earlier about um remembering that Era and the power cuts and stuff, and how everyone had their box of prices candles in the yeah. cupboard, and how we don't have our box of prices candles anymore, but perhaps we should get them in case the lights go out
0: yeah, because you don't want to waste that dip-teak candle no, exactly on, on you don't know. want any scented candles yeah or no one's gonna no no one that that will be a very first world problems moment if you yes. go on Twitter and start talking about <laughs> the wait, lights have gone out, but thank God,
1: <laughs> thank God I've got my, my john Galliano mist <laughs> <diptyque> <laughs> candle on. Uh, The other thing that I should say is amazing about this three-day week record is Bob Stanley's um, notes, sleeve notes that he's written for it, which are like a book in themselves. I mean, obviously, we know he has written an amazing book about um, the history of pop music. But, you know, you kind of think, God, he could write a book on this subject. Um, It's it's amazing stuff and really interesting just about the period and politics and everything that was happening as well as the music.
0: I'd like to talk a, a little bit about, um, I guess your your sort of evolution as a fan as well, um, because and also in a way, sort of trace it with the uh, back to to the book as well. Because when I when I think of um, your earlier records, it you know it's a re- it's it's kind of a privilege in a way to sort of to to read both embedded Disco Queen and Another Planet. This sort of Almost you're you're given the tools with which to figure out how to sort of connect the feeling that you get from a lot of your sort of early solo records and early everything but the girl records um, to the geography of them. So this kind of stillness, this sort of sense of uh, this slight sense of being a, a remove from a place that you feel ambivalent about. But that's not so much other things take over later on. Is that how it seems to you?
1: I mean it's such a long journey I think. You know, for me now when I look back over the music it it almost falls into yeah, quite distinct different periods, you yeah. know, like um looking at strata of rock or something. It all, you know, and and obviously they they happen one after each other, so each period has a sort of influence on the the following yeah. one. I mean, I listen back to some of, you know, the the really earliest music I made with the Marine Girls and the first solo album and it really has got something of that sort of like naive art mm. thing about it you know it sounds to me like music made by someone who barely knows what music is yeah yeah <laughs> you know he's clearly sort of passionate about something yeah Um, but without any knowledge of rules or
0: structures or mm. um, absolutely and,
1: and that's that's sort of amazing. I, I can see that that was its its power. Um, if, I, if
0: I think about very early songs, like On My Mind mm. and your version of Night and Day, yeah, I, th- I think two adjectives that almost contradict each other, but I don't think do actually, um, that come to mind, are soulful and empty. Mm. I hear a lot of, and uh, maybe it's the emptiness of your surroundings or just the kind of bareness of the means by which you recorded them yeah
1: I think it was I think it's necessity really I think it was just um, you know making the most of very limited means Um, you know barely any instruments barely any um, ability (laughs) Mm. Um, you know and something about and and I think also noticing that that space suited my voice very well Mm. um, and that's true throughout that's a through line i think you know the moments that work the best is when we found a way of of combining that space with still it this sounds tricky but still having something edgy about it yeah um and that's all. that's that's difficult sometimes you know leaving space on records without it you know, getting just too sort of nice and mellow sounding. Sometimes we fell the wrong side of that, I think, and things did get too gentle and mellow. But when they were at their best, I think it was when we managed to hang on to that sense of space whilst making sure that whatever there was on the record, you know, had some kind of necessity about it.
0: I know you weren't trying to educate anyone (laughs) by making records like Eden. (laughs) But at the same time, you you know, it was a little bit for someone like me, 14 years old, not really having not knowing where I even needed to start sniffing around in terms of sort of jazz and mm. that kind of whole area of music. Um, what what was it that was making you kind of put those elements into that record? In I
1: particular? mean, some of that just came from Ben because of his, um, you know, experience via his dad and the house he'd grown up in. Mm. Um, you know, he grew up listening to a much wider range of music than I did. And you know although we shared some things in common in, in terms of having been into some of the sort of post punk scene to me that had been my world yeah, yeah. Um, and i'd sort of devoured it obsessively and i had loads and loads of singles yeah. whereas when i met him he didn't have that many singles but he had lots of albums and much more wide ranging so he had jazz records and he had can and kevin Coyne and mm. things like that Do you know what i mean and He's what a... did
0: you find yourself perhaps even surprised to find that you were really getting into for the, for, of, of his records? I mean, I, I liked, I didn't like everything he
1: liked. And I think we did, f- And maybe f- throughout our career, one of the things that worked about our partnership was that we sort of each brought something slightly different to it without ever completely compromising to the extent that we became each other yeah, yeah um and it you know we never wrote together for instance we always wrote separately we either wrote songs completely on our own or he'd write some music and i'd show him some lyrics but we never did that sing around the piano together you know it's yeah. sort of, I'm of happy to hear it all. yeah so i <laughs> yeah. you know i i think the strength of a record like eden to me it sounds very much like a record that's made by two people who've pulled their songs, which is exactly what it was. He had six songs for his next solo album. I had six for mine. Yeah. And we thought, well, well that, you know, let's do the record right here.
0: It's funny, really, when you hear like a band splitting up due to musical differences, because <laughs> I quite like the bands that come together because of exactly. musical yeah. differences. See, I
1: think there's a strength in that always. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I mean, again, people are a bit weird because they think, you know, because we were a couple and we've been together so long, they kind of imagine we must be almost exactly the same. And, mm. you know, nothing could be further from the truth. We are so different and we have quite different takes on things and quite different likes and dislikes, very different personalities. Yeah. You know, That, to me, seems why it works.
0: Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think there's definitely an element of that in a lot of, you know, relationships at yeah. work. Um, of course... I mean, you know, my first instinct is to ask you about, you know, the records that you really agreed on. But I think a far more interesting question is to ask you about the the, the stuff that the other likes that you just hate. I don't I
1: don't know. There is much of that, to be honest. I'm, now you've said it, I'm thinking, what is there that... I don't think, don't think there's anything that one of us likes that the other one hates. There's a certain kind of funk um, record
0: that if I play it in the kitchen oh, really? at home then, you know, it's kind of the, the, the needle, which on one hand, on on one extreme, says married forever, and right. the, on the other <laughs> side says, call relate. Right. is uh is tips towards the latter. Is we that,
1: we have definite, like, inclinations of things that we're strong. Like, so Ben has a greater fondness than I do. When he makes, like, his mixtapes, I call them all, his bin cycle, for a certain kind of, like, slightly sort of Jazzy hip-hop stuff, quite Mm. sort of mellow, conscious lyrics. Lovely, Mm. Mm. but when I'm teasing him about it, I always say, oh, it's a bit jazz and jewelry, (laughs) which I think is (laughs) a Reeves and Maltin joke about... We know what we mean by it, (laughs) but it's a bit jazz and jewelry. Um, (laughs) And I have a much greater liking for stuff that to him is too poppy. Uh, He doesn't have a great liking for, you know, properly... Highly produced mm. chorus heavy, charty girl singer pop, which okay. I can't get enough of really. So, so those would, are the areas we divert. So, you can
0: name me like a track, like a record <laughs> that might be a, an example of that.
1: Well, like he doesn't like stuff like Robin and Sia and right. Lo and people like that anywhere near as yeah. disco tits, you know, that I would like have played at my funeral. Right, I okay. think it's probably a bit nails on a blackboard to him,
0: okay. okay. <laughs> Uh, which brings me to your new album. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like any of that obviously. Well, it's not quite that now, is it? No, but uh no. but there is. It's uh, you know, I, as you know, I I I love your a newish now, I guess, uh, your yeah. album record. And uh it's a re- it's a, it's a record that's palpably made by someone who loves pop for mm. people who to to be listened to by people who love pop. Mm. But at the same time, it's a very, it's a kind of, by stealth, it's also a very serious record in a way.
1: Yeah, I mean, lyrically, it, it's it's quite weighty. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it, if those lyrics were maybe in, you know, slightly more doomy musical context, it would all sound quite heavy. I always like the contrast between light and dark. You know, yeah. I, I, I do get a bit fed up when... Um, Dark is often used as the greatest compliment in modern criticism of all art forms, oh it's very dark yeah. light equals good, yeah and you know i'm not sure I think that's entirely true no um no. so i do I like letting the light in
0: yeah, and actually it's almost like you know it's such a it's quite a kind thing to do actually to yeah. sort of like if you're going to sort of write about something that's that's you know sort of quite potentially depressing subject matter Hmm. to sort of leaven it musically
1: and i was making the record to cheer myself up for god's sake i mean i started writing it in the aftermath of you know the brexit vote and trump Hmm. and i was literally getting to that mood of being so weighed down by the news and by consuming it on twitter and getting drawn into you know everyone ranting and raving and i just thought i'm going a bit mad here this is terrible i need to I need to get involved in a project that's going to take me away from all this, and you know, give me something yeah. to do for a while. And I thought, well, I've got a couple of songs. Let's let's try and write a couple more and see if I get anywhere. What so was I was doing it to, to try and, you know, not cheer too many myself. people are
0: doing. It. It's kind of like it's, there's you and there's the Pet Shop Boys. I'm not really <laughs> t- sure how many more people are really sort of a kind of occupying that space. There are probably loads. I just can't think of any off the top of my so it's head. It's hard to think of things no. off the top of your head. No, we don't need to. No. Um, what? So what was the song which sort of, you know, there's usually a song which kind of, you know, shines the angle, angle poise on sort of the rest of the album.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably Sister, yeah. which sits right in the middle of the album mm-hmm. um, and was written about... The middle of the album as well in terms of the writing process dance floor i'd had for a while that had been hanging although originally it started life as a quite a sadder ballad i had the verse which the lyrics of which are all quite sad hmm. and it was a much slower song which i really liked though i really liked the tune of it and i liked the lyrics but i just thought this is just too miserable no one want, no one needs this <laughs> so i kind of sped it up and then wrote a chorus about dancing and it works much better but when i wrote sister I thought, okay, so this is the kind of idea now. You know, a really strong Mm. lyric, but with a really strong groove. So this is going to be the sort of idea of it.
0: You must have done a little bit of an inward high five when you came up with the line, and I fight like a girl.
1: I don't think I really came up with it. I nicked it off a banner um, at the Women's March.
0: Well, hats off anyway. And
1: saw you know, someone was carrying this banner that just said fight like a girl. And I just thought, well, if that hasn't been used an awful lot, then I'll... Yeah. You know, I'll use it, and I went home and kind of Googled it to see how many times it had been used in things. It is out there a little bit, yeah. um, as a, I think it was the title of something. But I thought, okay, it hasn't been done to death, so I'll
0: have it. <laughs> On the rare occasions I can haul myself out for for a run, um, <laughs> it really works. That song, it kind good. of it's yeah. a good sort of motivational song, you know. And
1: I do all my music listening now when I'm marching across the heat. So I'm. It's another thing that that makes me listen to more upbeat music because I'm always listening to music when I'm on the move Ben listens to a lot more music at home he has music on when he's pottering about or on his laptop which again I think is what steers him in the jazz and jewellery direction (laughs) Um,
0: whereas I'm always marching about it's um, do you sort of and that sort of embrace of were you all did did that kind of pop loving side to you were you always sort of connected with it even sort of in the 80s where things were a little bit more tribal? Uh,
1: Well, I was was nodding there furiously as you started, because at the beginning I was very much so when I was younger, Hmm. and even when I got into punk, you know, I loved the Marvelettes and the Velvetettes and Leslie Gore and stuff, as much as I liked my punk records. I wasn't so sure about the kind of pop through the 80s. I mean, maybe it was by then because because things became a bit more tribal and you were sort of anti-things. And I suppose, look, I'm not You know, I'm not the biggest fan of 80s pop production. Mm. Um, You know, we were a little bit at odds with it always. And, um, you know, a bit anti-production and Mm. a bit trying not to have the 80s snare sound on our records. So now that it's become a sort of entirely beloved sound, there is part of me that goes, "Mm." we were kind of trying not to do that. but But that's probably because of being the age I was at that time. I wasn't... A teen pop fan by then, I was someone in their twenties in the music business who had a slightly jaded view yeah, yeah. of some of the way in which pop music was being made. And
0: that's one of the handy things about having children is that they can surprise you by kind of uh, adopting a sort of eighties pop records that, mm. you, you, that you just assumed no one of any ensuing generations could possibly like. Yeah, And my, I just certainly find I find mine doing that a lot. It's great because it allows me to hear them with fresh ears as well. Oh it's
1: fascinating watching kids go back and rediscover things. I mean all of ours have gone through different things when one of the girls first started going out like to clubs in her teens and she'd go off to Shoreditch and stuff and go out clubbing and she'd come home and I'd go so what, what were you dancing to? And she said just disco, 1970s disco. And I'd be <laughs> yeah. like what? Yeah, yeah. Can I come? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously I thought you'd be like listening to some Berlin you know trance track or something but no no they were that was that was the phase at that time then it went through a phase when they were all dancing to kind of 90s r&b for a bit
0: yeah yeah my so, yeah my oldest is has not let go of that yeah and uh Funny a little that, kind of quirky kind of aberrations like my youngest um africa by toto came on the radio oh. she said oh, this is a tune i said really <laughs> oh yeah yeah all the um all the roadmen, all the road, all the roadmen in my year love this. Oh and, you know, for, for listeners who don't necessarily <laughs> know what the term roadman means, mm. it's uh, sort of t- typically sort of teenage boys who define themselves, uh, especially musically, with kind of grime yeah. and uh, yeah. everything that goes with that. So, but apparently they all make an honourable exception for Africa because oh, they just, think just Wait till they hear Phil Collins! Well, quite, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um... You are, and quite rightly so, um, often s- spoken about, um, especially these days, as, as, as a soul singer and uh, as someone who who's a lot of what people love about your voice uh, accords with what a lot of people love about soul music. So uh, that would lead me, maybe naively, to assume that you're a big fan of soul music as well. Um, what in that domain tends to sort of get your attention?
1: I mean, I, I am kind of a soul singer, but I'm a, I'm a, a minimalist, aren't I? So, um, you know, that what that means is I love maximalists. <laughs> I love the <laughs> ones who can do all the stuff I can't do. I've talked about that a bit before, and people are always shocked when... Like, okay, well, like, you know, I mean, you know, the Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey style yeah. of, you know, that some people are so anti, you yeah. know, that they singing all went wrong at that yeah. point, you know, when, when they started doing all the... Um, vibrato madness.
0: What's um, your... Um, but it, there's
1: part of me that absolutely loves that because I can't do
0: it. You can know, you know, is it melisma, is it? Melisma that, is the, that, is the that word. That wibbly-wobbly, wibbly wibbly yeah. yeah I mean, you, I
1: can do a little bit of vibrato, but not proper. Really? You soul, couldn't You couldn't go. Not churchy vibrato.
0: Right, okay. Okay. Um,
1: so, yeah, I I do like listening to people who can do the things I can't do. I mean, now I think, you know, singing has become very mannered. There's a lot of what seem to me more... Vocal ticks and mannerisms than mm. individual style, which can be a bit annoying. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. I, I yeah, I I am struggling a bit with a lot of the modern kind of the kind of yeah. sort of it seems to be a post talent show way of sort of singing.
1: It's true, and I feel you know I've defended those kind of shows and things in the past, and I've defended Auto Tune, which I absolutely think has its place, and yeah, I know yeah. people. Rant against that as well, but you know there is a danger that things are becoming now incredibly homogenised. Um, what about going
0: further back, sort of in the pantheon?
1: Um, um, oh, Donny Hathaway, I suppose. Okay. That's, yeah, that's
0: uh, what everything is. Everything and
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing singing. Just yeah. you know that sort of fluidity and ease
0: and passion that i think's there do you have occasion to now i asked this you know so i'm almost scared of asking people i was gonna say do you have occasion to go to record shops and i think when when i ask this question of people i'm slightly worried that they expect they think i might disapprove of them somehow oh what for not yeah yes. and i honestly don't care but no. i'm just interested
1: <laughs> the answer is no from me no i really don't I'm, i mean i'm this <laughs> i shouldn't be saying this in the in the um, you know and next to this warehouse of stuff but I'm I am someone who actually is quite grateful for the fact that we can now listen to our music without having to have all the stuff yeah Um, I was never I think when I was younger you know I did used to like poring over the
0: yeah.
1: artwork and the sleeves and everything but now I'm actually perfectly happy to sort of just have it as a as pure sound in my ears without the the attendant yeah um it's the, physical it, stuff.
0: I guess it's the more ecologically sound option.
1: <laughs> I suppose so. I mean that but that's Yeah, yeah. that's not a reason. Not. No, 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 <laughs> no. How about Ben? Um Yeah, he's a bit the same as well. Um he's I think maybe again from the experience of having D and run a label yeah. where for a while, you know, our, as I say, our house was you know, just literally every morning you open the door to more. 12 inch yeah, vinyl yeah. arriving and he DJed during the period when it was still carrying record boxes around as well and put his back out lifting one of them up into a overhead bin on the plane on his way to DJ Did somewhere really? yeah literally oh my word <laughs> felt his back go what happened so that was horrible
0: I think he just had to carry on got some painkillers and carried on DJing but. it is it's some it's an it's an oft uh, undiscussed uh, yeah because I'm I still just about hanging on in there with yeah. my, my big heavy boxes, Maybe because I'm too much t- technologically ignorant to know. Perhaps. Well,
1: then, it, then he ended up, you know, then CDs. But then now, I suppose people don't even have any physical product at all while indeed. they're DJing, and that's that's a whole nother thing. It is,
0: and one that we <laughs> probably won't venture into. One right now. we at don't this know anything timeout. about. Uh, no, indeed, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, when's the book out, Tracy? The book's out, uh, Feb. February the 7th. And you kind of do... You, you're you very good at that whole sort of sitting in front of an audience talking about your life and your book and stuff. So um, I guess you've got a bit of that. I have got way. a bit
1: of that. I've got some events um, planned, which I, I kind of put a tweet out a couple of days ago announcing the um, reading dates I was doing, at which you then just get met by hundreds of replies going... <laughs> Are you coming to Hull? Are you coming to Leeds? Are you coming to California? And you've just given them the list of all the places you're going.
0: I think it's quite That's
1: th- why you've done it.
0: I think it's quite funny that you're sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> that, like you know, it's quite ironic, really, because at the beginning of your book, you talk about, because there's a bit in the beginning of your book where you talk about your teenage diary and you notice that you have a tendency to focus on all the things that haven't happened yeah. on that particular yeah, day. Yeah, the things I'm didn't do <laughs> and now you're confronted by fans yeah. doing exactly the same thing telling you I where know. you're telling not playing telling where I'm not coming <laughs> no. I know
1: so okay. that's that's a thing you have to just slightly breeze past the fact that yeah, yeah. cross with you for not coming to their town but
0: well on that elegant anyway. completion of a circle Tracy. very neat Thank you. I'm going to release you back into the wild. Oh, (laughs) marvellous. And uh, thank you for keeping me company for the last hour. You've been listening to the Ace Records podcast with myself, Pete Perfides, speaking with Tracy Thorne. Bye-bye. For more excellent music you can scoot over to the Ace Records website www.acerecords.co.uk with all the wonderful music you can possibly need.